your friends at Relay FM. This is Connected, episode 77. This week's show is brought to you by Ministry of Supply and Igloo. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined this week, as always, by my friend and yours, Mr. Federico Vitici. Hello, Stephen. How are you? I'm doing well. We're still Britishless. We're still a we're still a, a couple, me and you. There's no third guy here. Mike is still. Uh, I mean, we we made a we made a joke. You know, he's a deceased co-host. But this time, I feel like we went a little too far because he's still gone, and uh, I don't know if he's coming back. <laughs> uh, uh, hopefully, he is. He's still he's still on the mend, I guess, from his uh, crazy throat disease. So we miss you, Mike. We do miss him. It's it's always it's surprisingly stressful to do the show intro and everything and get it all ready. So I'll be glad when Mike resumes his post of uh, being in charge of the podcast. Yeah, Mike should do like should do a, a spin-off uh, show of Connected called Disconnected, and it's like a diary. Uh, it's like a daily log of his uh, you know problems. I feel like there's a potential for Mike to document his experience being off the show. Yeah, the one-man podcast is hard, though. Uh, I know he's dabbled in it. I know other people do it. And some people do it successfully. Sean Blanc does it successfully. But it is... The single-person podcast is... um, It's a tough thing, because you're just sitting there monologuing like some sort of bad guy in a Pixar movie. Yeah, I don't know. Mike could maybe do, you know, quick shows. Maybe he could do uh, an interview with his doctor, you know? Talk about that kind of stuff. I don't know, Mike. Think about it, if you're listening. Um, Steven, we we do have a show today however we we do have a show today and we're going to start with some uh some follow-up we've gotten some feedback if people uh aren't thrilled with us continuing to check in on google docs but the answer is it's still not updated um but federico you have issued i don't want to say ultimatum but you've issued an ultimatum to mike and i <laughs> that you're done using google docs after this week and so it wasn't really an ultimatum. Uh, it was more of a, I don't know, like a confession. Like, I'm seriously upset, guys. We're, we're wasting time here and Google is doing nothing. I just feel like at this point, like, it was fun initially to say, yeah, it's still not being updated. But at this point, uh, just, uh, you know, preparing the show uh, and the show notes on the iPad is really a pain with Google Docs. And so it was maybe like a strong suggestion, not an ultimatum, you know. So we'll see. We'll see where we're going to end up. Uh, you have been tasked with finding a replacement. Yes. And I think that will be fun. Uh, mini topic in the future. Um, I did issue an ultimatum saying that if we went back to iWork for iCloud, that I was quitting the show and the network and everything. So so we're not going back to iCloud. So keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, iCloud is out of the question. I feel so much responsibility at this point when you say I've been tasked with, uh, with finding a solution. Uh, that's... Such high pressure. Well, uh, um, we'll follow up. I'll ping you next week and we'll see where we are. Okay. Hmm. Uh, you, you also want to follow out? We do I want to still, follow out. Still got to learn the terminology. Follow here. up on a show that is not our own. And okay. uh, John Sarkisa has approved all of this language, so it's totally fine. Uh, on this week's Cortex, episode number 22, uh, towards the end of it, Mike and Gray are talking about the uh, iPad pro and the pencil and the 9.3 beta and and basically we talked about it connected as well but the pencil now no longer works for ui gestures so you can't scroll a list or scroll a web page or use it to tap buttons 
uh, Apple has basically said more or less that the pencil is for drawing and creating, not for navigating. And it, so I wanted to point out Cortex because it's particularly interesting and Gray kind of goes off the rails a little bit with it. Um, but Frederick, I wanted to ask you what you thought about like this statement. Like Sometimes Apple does this with their products. They won't ever come out and say, this is how you should use it, but it is strongly implied by either what the product does or doesn't do. And to Gray's point, it's upsetting that this worked and now it's been taken away. As What do you think about all that? Well, I can tell you that I have heard secondhand rumor that it, it is not a bug. It is intentional. And uh, it's a very... Um, it's the kind of decision that people are going to argue a lot. And again, don't take this, you know, with a take it with a with a huge grain of salt, maybe. <laughs> uh, but they're playing around with the idea of just using the pencil uh, for drawing and that type of, you know, limited functionality. Um, my assumption, and at this point we're just speculating here, uh, my assumption is that they maybe saw the way that people were using the pencil as a... Uh, Maybe similarly to how you use a Surface tablet, you know, with a stylus type of device that you use the, the pen accessory to interact fully with the device. And from what I understand, uh, of course, it's not final and it could change. But I would strongly suggest people, if you're upset, <laughs> to, you know, to speak up, to, to say that it's, you know, you don't like this, uh, what's happening in the iOS 9.3 beta. Uh, personally, I uh, maybe I understand Apple's position here, and I can understand why they're looking at the way that people are using the pencil to, you know, to scroll uh, lists to interact with iOS, and and I understand why the pencil was was made as a you know as a sort of a artistic accessory, you know, to draw, to to sketch, to you know, to jot down ideas, not necessarily as a replacement for multi-touch. And maybe Apple is afraid that people are going to replace multi-touch with a pencil. Um, I don't agree with that position, if only because there are serious um, RSI benefits for uh, people who want to work on an iPad Pro and do not want to constantly be touching the screen and to use their hands and therefore their wrists uh, to interact with a, with a big 12-inch display. Um, using a pen in a different position while the iPad is on a desk has considerable benefits when it comes to preventing fatigue and, you know, stress on the wrist. And th that is why primarily, uh, the, the reason why I want to see Apple re reversing this decision uh, eventually in the future. Uh, it's not a big deal personally for me because I do like multi-touch and I, at least so far, I haven't uh, come across that type of issues with my, uh, with my hands and with my wrists especially. Uh, but I know that it is a concern for people, for many people. And for those people, I would say the pencil provided a sort of solution, even if it was not uh, officially, officially promoted by Apple. Right. So having having this change could be problematic. Uh, I guess we'll see what happens by the final release uh, and with iOS 9.4, if that's going to happen. Uh, I've also heard about that, uh, but, you know, we'll see. I think, I think what you touched on about multi-touch is an interesting point that I do believe someone at Apple has looked at the pencil and how people are using it and say, no, 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 we designed it for this and this is what it's good at. Um, 
but it also feels a little bit defensive about multi-touch that um, the even in the introduction, you know, Schiller's like, well, you know, we have multi-touch, and multi-touch is still the primary way you interact with iOS, and the pencil is just this this new thing. Um, so I don't know. It does feel like they're maybe a little bit defensive about that, and and still want people to use and consider multi-touch as the primary method for interacting. But um, I don't know. It's it just seems silly if people are using it. It's not. It's not harmful in any way to iOS or the iPad that I can think of. It's not undermining anything that I can think of. So it just it really it really just uh, it doesn't bother me as much as it does Gray and Mike, but it it definitely uh, is definitely annoying. So I guess well, we'll see can, we'll see what happens. I can think of a, if I were in Apple's position, I can think of a few counter arguments. Uh, you could say that maybe the the pencil's battery life suffers when you use it all the time to interact with iOS and not, you know, uh, just in individual moments when you want to draw or when you want to sketch. And maybe you could also say uh, if you use iOS with the pencil, maybe it becomes less comfortable to perform multi-touch gestures because the pencil is a single tip on the screen and maybe Apple wants to promote, you know, using two fingers, using three fingers at once. So they don't want to have people constantly uh, using the pencil, then, you know, removing the pencil, using their, their hands. Uh, but even in that case, that's a weak argument, I'd say, when you contrast that with the w- with people saying, okay, I get it, but you know, using the pencil is just more comfortable for me. And when I'm on my desk and I'm working on the iPad Pro, it's just better for me to not having to touch the screen all the time. So from, a, from an ideological point of view, I understand Apple. But from a practical perspective, I would just leave the pencil as it is and let people use it whatever, however they want it, you know? So, I, I don't know. It's uh, still in beta 3, uh, and we, we understand, based on rumors, that iOS 9.3 is coming out next month uh, with, the, with the Apple event and all of that. So, m- there's still time, but, you know, usually not a good sign when a behavior is changed and by beta 3 is still, you know, not reversed. So... We'll see what happens, even. Yeah. Uh, so lastly, in follow-up, we talked about this on Upgrade a little bit yesterday, but Apple has opened up a Mac Pro repair cr- program. So we've talked about Mike's Mac Pro in the past and had he had some pretty significant issues with basically it locking up and not shutting down and just being uh, crashy. Like, it's just not a very good computer, unfortunately, and it seems like all that is tied to the GPU, and so Apple has opened a repair program where... Even if you are out of warranty, they will repair this or replace this component for you for free because it's kind of their problem. And so we got a link in the show notes to that. If you have a Mac Pro and you've had issues, you should go check it out. And if you have a Mac, Pro, if you have a friend who has a Mac Pro and they're sad, maybe this will help them. It seems uh, seems pretty widespread with these machines, unfortunately. So I just wanted to point that out since we've talked about Mike's uh, computer woes in the past, but he's now on a Retina iMac, and I think I think very happy with that. So. Yeah, it's good. All right, Federico, you have put together uh, one heck of a uh, main topic today. But first, I want to tell you about our friends from Ministry of Supply. Everyday clothing should be smarter by now. It should be designed for the needs of a body in motion, not a static mannequin. We are all on the go all day, and our clothing should adapt with us. The only way we can feel truly comfortable in our clothes is if they're designed to work with our bodies instead of against it. And that's the vision that drives Ministry of Supply, a performance professional menswear company that launched out of MIT four years ago. 
They make polished business clothes that are engineered to provide technical benefits like body temperature regulation to keep you from getting too hot or too cold, sweat-wicking fibers to keep you dry, and stretchable fabric to allow you to move more freely. Ministry Supply's most tech-forward dress shirt, the Apollo, is made with moisture-wicking fibers infused with temperature-regulating phase change material. This is the same stuff that NASA developed to keep astronauts cool in space. It features a light-knit construction for breathability and a four-way stretch for mobility. Ministry of Supply commissioned a research study from a university in Portugal that found it was around 15 times more breathable than a 100% cotton dress shirt. And all of their clothes are easy to maintain and wrinkle-resistant. You can wash them and dry them right at home, and there's no need to iron. If you're like me, that's a huge win. I've got a couple of Ministry of Supply shirts, and I'm really a huge fan. They're comfortable, they look good, and they're super breathable. It's really amazing. You don't get too warm, but you also don't get too cold. You can find out more and shop online at ministryofsupply.com connected. And if you use the code connected, you'll get 15% off your first purchase. And this is really cool. If you want to shop in person at a real store where Ministry and Supply sells, just mention this podcast and you'll get 15% off your first purchase, an offer code that works in the real world. Thank you so much to Ministry of Supply for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. All right, Federico, you want to talk about app updates. So what's, what's yes. on your mind? So this is the kind of topic that has been in the back of my mind for, I would say, many years. And I never find a way to talk about it uh, because, you know, it's not strictly a technological topic. It's more of a mix of feelings and release notes, <laughs> uh, which is kind of a, a strange combination. Still, um, I want to talk about app updates and our personal relationship with the, with the apps that we use every day and how we feel about uh, seeing updates to the tools that we employ to get work done. And my main question for you, uh, Stephen, is do you prefer apps that are updated often or not? This is the core idea behind this topic. You know, I've, since you uh, suggested this a couple of days ago, I've been thinking a lot about it. And I think the extremes are bad. So you have apps, and we're going to get into this, uh, like Facebook on iOS, which is updated every 10 days or so. And it's very clear they're just working on a schedule, and there's no release notes, and there's no real idea of what's going on. But then on the other end, you have apps that may only get updated for major OS releases. So mm -hmm. uh, things that you know are quiet for a year, and then a new version of OS 10 and iOS are out, and they're updated for compatibility and move on. And I really think I'm somewhere in the middle where I, I understand those two extremes and understand that if you're a large company with a, uh, you know, a large development team and you work in sprints and you have stand-ups and you have a fancy coffee machine that uh, a weekly or bi-weekly or something schedule that you stay that you stay married to may make a lot of sense. And I can see on the other side that if you're a small development shop or one or two people that you have, you know, fewer opportunities to, to keep things updated so you're you know more in a compatibility mode and making sure that it works and you can't invest the time and money to, to add new features so to answer your question with a not a real answer i think somewhere in the middle makes sense where mm -hmm. as a user i see new features and and things are updated um uh, of course we're you know staying up to date for compatibility but not so often that 
uh, my workflow is going to be you know radically changed or, or broken on a regular basis and and that in a way that the communication from the developer to me as a user is clear and um, I'm not overburdened with running an update every every eight days. Yeah, and that's what I, uh, precisely what I want to talk about. Uh, we're very fortunate in that we get to uh, work every day with uh, you know with computers and tablets and phones, and I would say for the most part we have fun doing so, but. That comes at a cost, which is we got to choose from, uh, you know, millions of possible tools for the jobs. If you open the App Store or, you know, the Mac App Store, which is still around, uh, there's just so many options. And what I wanted to... What I want to discuss is, do we make our choices on the software that we use and based on the release schedules, based on the support for, from the developer, based on how many updates uh, we see coming in from the App Store? And I know that this is one, something that I really struggle with um, because every time I, I decide that I want to start using an app, uh, because I got to get some things done on my iPad or on my phone. Um, and I got to find the software that, you know, helps me doing so. Uh, there's a lot of insecurity for me uh, when it comes to not only finding the best tool or, you know, finding the app that, you know, kind of strikes my preferences, but there's an insecurity in analyzing whether an app uh, is in the future is going to continue uh, being updated, receiving new features, uh, receiving fixes. And that, if I were to dig deeper, I would say that the problem for me is making an informed decision, not only for right now, but for the future. And because I don't want to find myself in the, in, the, in the position where I start using an app right now and two months uh, later, I got to find something else because the app has been abandoned. And this is a very big topic when you, when you think about it. There's many factors at play here. Uh, there's, you know, indie developers struggling to, you know, to make a business on the, on the app store. And there's big companies uh, which maybe have an interest in having frequent release schedules and, you know, uh, bringing new features all the time to their apps on the app store. And so I, I kind of want to talk about it uh, in, in, you know, individual segments. Okay. Um, the apps that I find myself um, having this kind of process all the time are the apps that I really use on a daily basis. So those would be my text editor, my email client, and my calendar app. And especially for the text editor, which is the app that I use, uh, the, probably the app that I use the most because, you know, I got to write, I got to take notes, I got to prepare articles for the website, I got to prepare articles for Club Mac Stories. It is the, uh, the single piece of software that I use the most. And over the past year, and we've talked about this, uh, I've been having doubts on my use of editorial on iOS, uh, which is this tech editor that came out in 2013 and that I even wrote a book about. Um, and for the past couple of years, editorial has seen only, I would say, two major updates uh, because the developer it, it falls into that kind of group where the updates are not frequent. Uh, I mean, the app has not been updated in over a year, I think. And when he does update the app, he receives a lot of new stuff, a lot of uh, new compatibility with the new iOS features and devices. Uh, but I was thinking when I was preparing my iOS 9 review, uh, is this really the app that I want to use going forward? Because 
there's a there's a fine balance between the existing functionalities of an app and the potential for future improvements and finding that balance uh, or you know thinking uh, this app right now does a lot of things that I like and I depend on a lot of those things but going forward is this going to be a problem if the app doesn't change uh, if the app doesn't update if it doesn't receive new features or you know stays up to speed with changes to iOS and I found myself thinking about that and eventually I switched to one writer which is another text editor for iOS and I've been doing a lot of work in, in the app and uh, uh, you know it, it works fine it doesn't have all the features of editorial which I still keep installed uh, but it sort of uh, it's an example of this kind of problem that I have. And on the other hand, I'm looking at all these other apps that I have on my devices, uh, utility apps, you know, the kind of apps that do one thing and do it so well, but I don't spend a lot of time in those apps. Uh, and so even if they don't receive a lot of updates, it's not necessarily a problem. And, you know, text expander, uh, custom keyboards, uh, emoji apps they do one thing and even if they don't receive updates that single feature that they have it's not you know a problem for me if they don't receive updates every other month uh, and then there's another category of apps maybe uh, the, the, when you simply don't have an alternative uh, Pythonista or Workflow come to mind uh, they do they have one key feature or one key aspect and there's just no other solution. So in that case, the uh, you could say they're irreplaceable. Uh, there's just no alternative. So whether they receive updates, such as Workflow, or whether they don't, such as Pythonista, you know, it's another app uh, from the same guy behind the editorial, which is on an annual release schedule, it doesn't matter because I just have to use them. And so I'm looking at these three types of apps, and I'm wondering... Um, has the App Store created an update culture in people like us, you know, geeks and, and people who like to spend a lot of time playing around with computers and working with computers and new apps? Uh, has the App Store sort of nurtured that kind of line of thought when, when you don't see an update or when you, when you don't see frequent updates, you start wondering, hey, you know, maybe... I have to find other options. Maybe I have to look around and maybe I, I have to change. And I know that this is maybe one of my flaws uh, when something is working perfectly fine, but a, a couple of months pass and there's no update. And I start wondering, is this app, uh, you know, abandoned? Is this app dead? <laughs> right. and, and a sort of a fear of missing out maybe creeps in. And I start thinking, you know, maybe I'm the problem. Uh, and my problem is I chose the wrong app. And I, I'm, I'm sure that I'm overthinking this, but I, I'm also sure that I'm not alone in this. So have you ever find yourself uh, using an app and everything's working okay, but then you see the last update was four months ago and you go, eh, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah, I have. And especially things, like you said, that I am really dependent on. and. You know, maybe it's maybe four months is, is too short of a time, but I definitely sort of have that thought sometimes. Like, what if this utility or app that I, you know, is part of my workflow every day, what if it goes away? And 
so so part of it maybe is driven from the update culture, but I think part of it for me too is like I always want to make sure I have a, a safety net that there's always something else that I could, you know, plug into this spot and still get my work done. Like you did with one writer and editorial, you know, you went through this whole thing of creating all of this crazy JavaScript stuff and one writer so you could mimic what you were doing in editorial. And I think that's just, I think that's pretty common for like nerds to always want to know that there is a alternative, that there is a, a way out if something they depend on goes away. But uh, I think more importantly than that, I think something that is a big factor in this, you mentioned this like app store culture is the cost of an app. You know, we're, we're seeing uh, uh, sort of this this two track thing going in the app store, where a lot of apps are still in a race to the bottom, but there is a little bit of a sort of a resurgence of you know more uh, expensive apps, and I can't help but think that that is a factor in this. That if you if you paid you know a dollar for an app a year ago and there hasn't been an update, well maybe that's one thing, but if you you know paid thirty dollars for an app, uh, and this is especially more true on the Mac side, I think. If an app is expensive, you sort of expect there to be ongoing development, and whether that's fair or not to a developer, I don't know. I think in, I think in a lot of ways, a lot of this is not fair to developers. But from the consumer standpoint, I totally see what you're getting at. Where like you have that just sort of creeping thought in the back of your mind, like, well, is this is this forgotten? Is this something that um, the developer, you know? doesn't care about and and you and i of course are in a unique position where we know a lot of the developers behind the apps that we love so like i know what's coming in the future versions of a bunch of apps on my home screen but um, the vast majority of people don't have that and i can totally see if if you are reliant on something and especially if you paid what you consider to be you know a lot of money for an app then i can see that tension rising pretty easily yeah, and when you when you think about it, uh, what we're talking about here uh, is just in a way, you know, ephemeral. Uh, it's just bits of software. There's nothing tangible. Uh, you know, you're not talking about an object. You're not saying, "Oh, I bought this," you know, "I bought this tool for my job," and it's a physical object, and it's not gonna get you know updates. But I'm okay because it works for me. And but when you're, you know, when you're Talking about people like us, where we the the way that we get our work done is by using software, and maybe applying our skills to software or our information with you know making something out of our thoughts using software. Um, you're sort of uh, you 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 fall into this line of thinking that you always want to have an improvement. You're always looking for at least I am. Always looking for updates. Always looking for better things to to have in your life. And so, you, you at least uh, you know, over the past six years, I have found myself feeling. And this is gonna sound maybe stupid or silly. I don't know. But every time I see an update to an app that I use every day, I feel uh, a weird combination of joy and satisfaction because I know that the app that I chose is getting support from the developer. And that's why, that's why I feel like my expectations have been altered considerably by the App Store. Um, many years ago, I was maybe one of those people who were getting annoyed by software updates. Now, whenever I see an update 
I'm just happy. I'm glad that the developer is finding ways to improve the app. And I want to I wanna say that maybe Apple is contributing to this sort of update culture, uh, you know, with annual uh, software updates for iOS and OS X, new devices every year. And as a consequence of those aspects, uh, there's an expectation on developers to keep up the pace, you know, to keep working on, on their apps and to bring new features. And there's also the API aspect. Uh, a lot of the apps that we use every day are based on services uh, that, you know, have an API that developers can plug into. Uh, so we're talking about, you know, RSS clients, uh, Twitter clients, uh, any, any app that has a web component exposed to an API. And when that API changes, um, the user is expecting an update, you know, to, to have modern functionality in their apps. And when the API breaks, it's a problem. So, you know, you, you can try to use a, uh, Twitter clients that were made six years ago today, and you wouldn't be able to because the Twitter API, the first version, is gone. Um, so there's different factors at play here. And the, the key contrast, however, is that while people like us, we sort of cherish the update and we are happy when we see change locks on the app store, when we see, you know, an app that is being updated every month with new features, design tweaks, whatever, uh, there's a, a considerable majority of iOS users who are maybe annoyed by updates. Uh, I, I've been speaking with some friends to kind of understand uh, what normal people think about this. And... Uh, the vast majority of my friends, they are annoyed every time they see that they have to update, uh, you know, Facebook or Messenger or uh, a Google app or any other app that they use on their iPhones. Just because there's a, a common fear that the update is going to break stuff. And this is probably the reason why uh, Apple made uh, automatic updates an option uh, on the App Store a few years ago. Uh, but there's sort of an expectation... Uh, in, 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 you know, people who don't obsess over, you know, apps and the App Store, an expectation that the update brings bad news, maybe. Um, and this is such an interesting point of view, because whenever I see an update, I, I, my mind goes, okay, there's fixes, there's new stuff, this is good news. But when other people see an update, they're just, oh, God, you know, there's another update that I gotta, that I gotta perform. And, I don't know, but have you seen that kind of maybe stance or line of thinking in, in people unlike us? I have. I do think it's a little bit better now with auto-updating in the App Store that you always see a friend who has, you know, a 37 badge on their App Store icon. Exactly. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, oh, it takes yes. time. I got to go do it. Um, but I do think that some of that annoyance does come from these big these big apps that you know everyone has facebook and, and messenger installed and that they're they're in that list so frequently that it does form a type of fatigue and you know that that may be exaggerated that everyone has those apps and that those apps are really that's sort of a class of apps unto itself right somebody like the omni group is not going to update omni focus every every 10 days mm-hmm. But Facebook and Twitter and these other big, big companies can do that. And I, I do think there's some sort of balance to be struck. And in, in if you're doing that, you need to prove that it's useful. And unfortunately, the companies that are updating so frequently are the ones who are just miserable at uh, 
the note section in the updates. And not not that everybody reads that, and I think most people don't, but for those who do want to read it, I think it should be there and it should be helpful. And, you know, there's this trend right now of, oh, yeah, we uh, have, you know, fixed some bugs and it's more reliable and uh, we do this every two weeks to keep your, you know, app nice and, and healthy. And it's like, that's not any information that is helpful to me. And uh, so I don't know. I think I think developers could do more to, to ease that fatigue. Um, and I do think there's a, there's an element of stress as well. It's like, is this going to break? Is this going to make it worse? And, you know, we've spoken a lot about that with Apple's OS updates itself of, you know, oh gosh, there's a new version of iOS. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it going to make my phone, my phone slower? Is it going to make my battery run down? Is it going to, yes. you know, whatever. And, and some of that's based in fact, and some of it's not. Uh, but I do think some of that trickles into this as well. Like, oh, I updated the Tumblr app and now... It doesn't, you know, have the old style reblogging anymore. It has this new thing, and I don't, I don't like it. And maybe people are afraid to update because of that sort of thing. So, I really think it boils down to having respect for your users if you're a developer, and knowing that um, an update takes time and data from them, and you know, it should, it should count. And I think on the user perspective, there's, there's a place for some respect and some understanding of a developer's schedule and. And just the economics of the App Store, you know, to, to back up a second, talking about these annual releases that Apple's doing, there's, a, we've done it on this show, lots of, of concern over that, about Apple itself, right? That if the, if the core iOS team is responsible for a new major revision every year, every 12 months, then they really only get about six months to do that. And then, you know, they are working on, you know, point updates, and then they're on to the next thing. and. That cycle can only, I imagine, be worse if you're a small developer. If you're a single person or a couple of people working on an app. And, you know, especially on iOS, there's been some major stuff the last several years. And it may take from June until September to get that ready. You know, if you start at WWC with the bills and the new APIs and you, you work and you get it ready and you ship it, and you should have support for the, for the new version of, of iOS on day one, let's say, ideally. And a lot of good developers do that. A lot of the apps I use, except for Google's, are ready on day one or, or very shortly thereafter. And that's amazing to me. I can't imagine the work, the work that that must take. But what that does is it's taken a quarter of your year and has basically dedicated it to compatibility, a compatibility update. And what if iOS or OS ten, like it used to be, was on a slower cycle, would we see developers have more time and more energy for feature updates, for design refinements, for updates that uh, matter in different ways than than just compatibility or just keeping up with new features? And so part of this whole thing, like the underlying thing for me is that this release cycle is A, completely artificial because Apple just made it, um, but B, it's got to be a huge weight on developers to to be able to just keep up with Apple's pace. Yeah, you raised uh, an interesting point uh, about Apple because as we're seeing with uh, iOS 9.3, it it appears that Apple is moving to actually a faster uh, release cycle in that they're adding new features uh, in the middle of the year uh, before WWDC, so before uh, they... uh, they're showing, uh, you know, what's next for iOS and OS X. They're bringing changes to the system. They're bringing improvements to Notes. And so there's a there's an argument there that also Apple is sort of aware of 
the you know the, the best way to catch people's attention is maybe to add new stuff and you know it's it's funny uh, when you think about it but maybe emoji may be the best way to get people to upgrade to a new version of iOS and because there's an intrinsic uh, and and catchy uh, feeling of you know the the, the 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 strength of something new that gets your attention and so when you see new features when you see you know uh, new ways to use your iPhone or new ways to get work done on an iPad and at least for me, curiosity and you know gets a hold of me, and I wanna I wanna see what's new, and I wanna have more features. And this is a very I feel like it's one of the the basic points of this this discussion. It is extremely hard to keep an app simple with a limited set of features while still having updates on a frequent basis. Let me explain. So you make a text editor and you have this idea of a very simple text editing environment uh, where you write and you edit and you share. And once you ship your idea and the idea is done, you just got to have, you know, compatibility updates, keep up with basic new iOS features such as, I don't know, the share sheet or the iPad Pro. But the basic idea of an app is unchanged. And then at some point, users start wondering, well, why don't you do this? Or why don't you do that? And as a developer, and this applies to indie developers, I would say, as a developer, you go, well, this is the basic idea of my app. I don't want to add more functionality. I just have this idea. And the idea doesn't change with, with, you know, with the, as years go by. The idea doesn't change with new versions of iOS. But there's a... A portion, a portion of the user base, which maybe like me, sort of expects uh, change to happen eventually, and and I've seen this, you know, you know, with the uh, with the so-called opinionated apps, uh, where it's a single well-crafted idea that doesn't change a lot, but because the idea doesn't change, the updates become, you know, less frequent, and as the updates become less frequent, some users start wondering, well, maybe, you know, I gotta, I gotta find another option, I gotta find an alternative because this app is dead. So I think there's a, it's important to distinguish and to find a balance between, are you looking for an idea that doesn't necessarily change with time? So are you looking for a piece of software that does something that doesn't, you know, depend on change? Or are you looking for ongoing development? Are you looking for something that changes with you? And, and it's difficult, you know, to, to apply this statement to every type of app because, you know, each one of us is different. We have different needs. And so while I may be looking for a task manager that does a lot of things and changes with time and changes all the time, maybe you just want to have, you know, a task manager that is structured in a very specific way, doesn't change its design, doesn't add new features, just simply does one thing exec exceptionally well and doesn't put a pressure on you, because there is a pressure here, doesn't put the pressure of knowing what's new, learning what's new, and adapting to the app. So when you, and, and I know that I've been guilty of this, you know, uh, being confused myself by whether I'm looking for an idea that stays the same over the years or looking for a piece of software that changes. Uh, and that is flexible. 
uh, I'm looking at something like To Do, for example, uh, a task manager that has changed a lot over the years, and that every time the developer uh, releases an update, which are frequent, uh, there's something new to learn. There, you know, a new feature, a new design, a new setting. Uh, there's a, a discussion here to make about, you know, feature creep or having too too many features in your app, and. As a developer, you gotta understand your audience also. You know, uh, am I selling this app to the kind of people who are okay with custom updates, with custom changes, or you know, am I the kind of the kind of developer who makes an app that is very specific in the, in terms of design and features and doesn't want to change? But at what cost am I choosing to not change, to not you know copy the competition, to not add new features? Uh, it's a very it's a very difficult problem to, to solve. And it comes down to, and then we've discussed this before, but it comes down to knowing your audience. This is the single most important aspect, I feel like, if you're an indie developer. So let's set aside for a moment the Googles and Facebooks and Twitters. But if you're an indie developer, so if you're a small team or a single person making an app on the App Store, knowing your kind of people uh, is essential to know whether it's okay for you to add settings, to add features, to change your design, to constantly be on the verge of making changes to the product or wondering if you're maybe the developer of an app that does one thing, it's so utilitarian and it's so immutable uh, you know, with time and with other external conditions, that it's okay for you to say, I made this app two years ago, I may release updates every six or seven months, and that's okay, because this app does this very specific uh, thing, and it doesn't need to change. Now, to wrap up, Stephen, uh, I don't feel like, personally, there's any hope for improvement. When it comes to <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to me, uh, simply because of one aspect, which is I gotta write about software, and intrinsically, change is you know intertwined with what I do, um, in in a big way. Uh, I I write about change. I write about what's new, and. It's difficult to, you know, make uh, articles or record shows that are evergreen. Uh, and this is very high-level discussion. But um, th when you think about it, making an app or writing an article or making a podcast, it's not too different. Uh, you're, you're releasing software. <laughs> Whether it's text or audio or an app, it's still software. And there's nothing, you're not making, uh, forgive my, my very far-fetched comparison here, but you're not making a baby. You're not making an object. You're not building a monument. You're releasing software, right? And it's bound to change or to perish or to be obsolete at some point, uh, which is sad when you think about it. But there's also the, the upside, which is, you always have the option to improve, you always have the option to tweak, and you always have the option to revise. Um, so, you know, I don't think I'm going to stop looking for updates to the apps that I use the most. And at some uh, many occasions, um, <laughs> this is so, feels like therapy to me, uh, but on many occasions, 
uh, I feel sort of anxiety uh, when, uh, when I don't know what's new in the apps that I use or in the blogs that I follow. And this is why I talk about update culture. Uh, it's because I, there's a fear that I don't know what's changing. Um, and I can apply this to articles on, on blogs, and I can apply this to Apple News or to apps on the App Store. But I'm, I feel like I'm hopelessly bound to staying updated, you know? But if you're a developer, uh, you, you don't have to be in this situation. Uh, understand what, what kind of app you're making and know that it, it is okay to not release updates every two weeks or to not release updates every six months. But it depends on the kind of app that you're making. And this is also true for podcasters, you know, for writers. You don't have to blog every single day. You don't have to make a podcast every single day. You can make one every two weeks or you can write every couple of months. It's okay. It just depends on your audience, which is, you know, probably the issue here. Uh, What's an audience? But maybe that's that's a topic for another time. <laughs> uh, uh, sorry, Stephen, if I went on for too much. No, just you know, no, the kind of topic that I just gotta get it out of my head. No, it's a really interesting topic, and so much of the time, conversations about the app store revolve around the economics of the app store, right? Pricing, paid upgrades, all all that sort of normal territory. So I think it's interesting to talk about the app store, yeah, from a different angle. And and updates are a huge part of it, and honestly, one that uh, I think has changed a lot over the years and, and maybe a lot, it feels like, even recently. So I think, it's, I think it's an interesting topic and something that will only become more of a talking point, I think, in the future as the app stores become more mature and as more and more people are buying all of their software through them, right? I mean, on iOS, it's always been a choice, but even on the Mac, you know, it's, it's, it's become part of the culture there as well so i think it's a uh, i think it's well worth the conversation this episode of connected is also brought to you today by igloo the internet you will actually like with igloo you don't have to be stuck at your desk to do your work you can manage your task list from your laptop during a meeting share status updates from your phone when you're leaving a client and access the latest version of a file from home on your tablet you can even do it in your pajamas like mike and no one will know these days, everything is mobile, and your work should be too. If you've ever looked at your internet and thought, whoever designed this must truly hate me and everyone I know, well, these days are over. Igloo allows you to make your internet feel like a place you actually want to be. It's surprisingly configurable, and you can completely rebrand it to give it the look and feel of your team, of your company. Thanks to group spaces, role-based access permissions, and an easy drag-and-drop widget editor, you can reorganize the whole platform to fit exactly how your teams work. You don't have to change the way you work to fit Igloo. It changes to fit you. With our mobile lives, people are increasingly bringing in outside apps into companies, and sensitive documents are getting scattered across many different platforms. And this can cause some big security problems, but not if you use Igloo, because it allows you to integrate with these services like Box, Google Drive, and Dropbox into one big, easy, secure platform. If you know terms like 256-bit encryption, single sign-on, and Active Directory integration, then you'll know just how safe and secure Igloo is. With Igloo, you can share these files with your coworkers, you can collaborate on them, you can track who has read them with read receipts, 
Uh, and all of this is super useful in making sure that everyone has the critical information they need. Everything has been seen and everyone is on the same page. It's time to break away from an internet you hate. Go and sign up for Igloo right now and you can try it for free for any team with up to 10 people for as long as you want. Sign up at igloosoftware.com slash connected. Thank you so much to Igloo for supporting Connected and all of Relay FM. All right, we are going to return to some Connected QA this week. Yay. Um, and so we've got some questions here from, uh, from uh, listeners, and we're kinda, we'll go through these. So Jimmy asks, do you think Apple plans a smart keyboard uh, or pencil with the iPad Air 3 this spring? Well, that's a big question, right? Uh, we we've talked about this uh, last week, I think, or two weeks ago. Um, it seems fair to say that eventually the iPad Pro uh, accessory line and hardware will trickle down to other iPads, much like you know iPhone features trickle down the product line eventually. Uh, and it makes sense to me to have this smart connector. Uh, become a, a shared option across many types of iPads. I don't know uh, if Apple plans on adding pencil support for the iPad Air 3, if only because, you know, they made a big deal of the pencil being an iPad Pro-only accessory just a few months ago. But as we, we've discussed, Apple doesn't like to not add features based on what they said in the past. So I would be surprised if eventually the smart keyboard and the pencil don't come to the 10-inch iPad. I don't know if it's, you know, with the next iPad, uh, but, you know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I think the other thing for me is the, on the smart keyboard angle is um, having a keyboard that is wide enough to be full size, but also small enough to kind of yeah. fold over like the pro keyboard does. Uh, I don't really see them doing a smart keyboard if it's a lot smaller and a lot worse than the smart keyboard is now so for me that's the bigger question i think the pencil is probably a no-brainer but i guess we will see in just a couple of weeks um yeah. so ryan asked specifically about the ipad pro uh what are some accessories that we'd like to see developed uh, and maybe some uh, types of apps we'd like to see come to the ipad pro that aren't there now hmm. well okay um so accessories um podcasting accessories, microphones, docking stations, whatever. I just want to be able to, uh, you know, run audio apps, Skype, uh, Skype simultaneously and to record audio with a proper interface, with proper hardware, without having to buy, you know, like a dozen adapters and cables. And as for apps, uh, well, um, what kind of apps do I want to see? Uh, maybe uh, I, I, you know, this is something that I want to really want to have an iOS version of BB Edit or an iOS version of Sublime Text. Uh, you you can see that I'm I'm a really mm -hmm. big fan of text editors here. Um, I just want to see you know, and also another another dream of mine is a full featured iOS browser. Uh, with a focus on research. So maybe a combination of what you have on the Mac with Devon Think uh, and, you know, just a, a, like a supercharged Safari uh, with many, many features for research. So highlight web pages, um, 
drag and drop snip, snippets of web pages around, create files from those snippets, organize web pages. And there's a bunch of iOS browsers that do this, but not to the extent that I want to see. Like I would pay $100 for a very powerful browser with note-taking functionalities, research features, all built into a single package. Uh, you know, that that's the kind of app that I wanted to have for many, many years. Yeah, I think for me, I think the, the audio stuff is definitely the biggest and having, I mean, that's a conjunction of hardware and software, of course. Uh, for me, that would really uh, make the iPad Pro, especially for travel, like having to record on the road and stuff, just much better than lugging my, my MacBook Pro and an interface and a microphone and everything. Uh, the other thing that, that sort of comes to mind, and we, we've been talking about it in, in Slack some, is just some more options for carrying the thing around. So uh, some more options for sleeves and bags and things that accommodate the bigger size. And I think that will come. Uh, a lot of manufacturers are, are catching up to that now. But um, just having some more options when you need to stick it in your bag and go somewhere I think would be nice. Yeah, uh, yeah. Waters wants to know what we think about uh, a MacBook Pro update once and predictions. Yeah, so... Oh, this is yours. <laughs> uh, heavily rumored Skylake is coming to the MacBook Pro hopefully pretty soon. Uh, that's the next generation of Intel chipset that brings along with it things like USB-C and Thunderbolt 3, which are plug compatible, so it could ride over the same connector, which would just be uh, great. Um uh, for me, I would like, uh, especially the the 13-inch, to be uh, a really good option. I've got a 15-inch now, like I was telling Jason yesterday. I think I'm going to go back to a 13 at some point. It's just it's a lot more computer than I want to lug around, and I don't use it as a laptop hardly ever. It's always docked even now to a display and keyboard and mouse and everything, so having something a little bit smaller to carry around but still as powerful would be nice. And so I hope that Skylake allows them to do that, where a computer can be really powerful um, I do wish the MacBook Pros get better battery life. The 15-inch in particular um, is okay. The 13-inch MacBook Pro, in my experience, is a pretty miserable battery life, uh, especially compared to something like the Air. And so I really hope that they don't uh, take Skylake's performance increase and lob a bunch of battery off and keep the same. I would like to, to see them increase the battery life, but I know that's probably silly. Uh, so for me, a, a, a nice, well-rounded 13-inch MacBook Pro would be great. Uh, I do have some questions about uh, adapting from USB-C slash Thunderbolt 3 down to old Thunderbolt. Um, i got a bunch of Thunderbolt stuff running around, but I'm sure that will be uh, pretty pretty easy to do. Um, people in the chat room are talking about Touch ID on MacBooks. I mean, sure, that'd be great. I don't see that happening. I think, that's, I think that that technology is pretty rooted in Apple's ARM chipset, and I don't even know if, if that would be possible in any feasible way uh, with the Intel chipsets they use in the Mac. But I, I don't know. I'm not a chip guy, but uh, I would not hold my breath uh, on Touch ID coming to your Mac anytime soon, unfortunately. Uh, this next one, uh, I'll ask you first. Uh, my answer is probably going to be predictable. Um, how is your Apple Watch faring after it's we're coming up on a year, I guess, uh, up here pretty soon? How's How's the Apple Watch treating you, Federico? Well, I'll tell you that I still have to write an article about the Apple Watch. I uh, feel like that says a lot. Um, I'm still understanding what the Apple Watch does for me. Um, it hasn't become... It hasn't become, at least right now, 
than a must have, I do miss it when I'm not wearing the Apple Watch. But I also get by, you know, uh, on a couple of occasions, I forgot to put on my Apple Watch in the morning. And I went out and I was like, oh, yeah, I don't have an Apple Watch. That's inconvenient. But, you know, it's also not a big deal. Um, It's been very nice for Mm -hmm. notifications and for seeing messages come in. It's been fine for fitness stuff, you know, to check on my heartbeat, to monitor workouts, to check on my step count. But the big problem for me is that the software is unreliable. Uh, It's slow. It's very slow. And even after watchOS 2, apps either fail to launch or they take several seconds to launch, which makes them unusable because the whole thing is based on the premise that you're, you should be able to launch apps in a second and to glance at information in a second. But when you swipe up to open the glances and they take three to four seconds to update or they don't update at all, or when you try to go to the home screen and you tap on an icon and the app doesn't launch or it shows you a spinner for <laughs> right. eight to nine seconds, well, that's a problem, right? And it sort of makes the whole thing unusable for me when I want to install apps and the apps don't work. Um, So it's okay for the system features, uh, you know, to look at notifications, to archive an email message from my wrist. That's convenient. Or to change, this is something that I do quite often, to to change the the, the song that is playing with with a, you know, music uh, glance. Uh, That's been nice. And I also use it for podcasts to kind of skip ahead when I don't want to listen to, uh, you know, specific sections uh, or to kind of rewind and listen again to something that a person said. But aside from that, uh, the Apple Watch is no iPad for me. It's no iPhone either. From a fashionable point of view, it's very nice, uh, especially when you combine that with the different bands and accessories. That's very cool looking, I would say. But from a software point of view, functional perspective, it's very problematic for me. And I want to see the next generation or watchOS 3, whatever it is, just make it fast. Because right now it's slow, it's unreliable, and I find myself not being interested in watchOS apps for two reasons. One, because they don't work. So I'm less in, uh, I don't have an incentive to look out for new app for new apps because I know I'm going to be disappointed. And two, because many of the apps that I want to use don't have watchOS 2 updates. So I want to have a to-do glance or a to-do complication. Uh, well, there's a glance, but it's slow and there's no complication because the developer didn't update to watchOS 2. And this is a common problem. It's not to call right. out to-do or whatever. Many, many apps that I use don't have a watchOS 2 version. So Apple Watch, almost a year on. It's nice, but there's a long, long road ahead. <laughs> yeah, I agree with everything you say for the most part i I will say that the soft the speed is definitely an issue and i think that is only going to be resolved with new apple watch hardware that until they can rev the thing with a faster system on a chip that uh it's just going to be slow and that and you know it definitely feels the slowest when it's pulling a lot of data from the iphone and i know watch os2 is supposed to help with that and so Maybe it's a combination of of slow hardware and developers just being a little bit behind. But I totally see the developer standpoint of it not being a huge value add to have like a really killer Apple Watch app yet. So, and I think that's hurting the platform. I think that a lot of people have cooled on the watch because of that 
the promise of like just um flicking your wrist up and seeing what's going on like doesn't really work all the time and and something like the watch like it should be flawless it, you shouldn't have to you know swing your arm around a bunch of times to to see your to-do list and so that that frustration i think is is a very real thing uh for me and we've talked about this in the past i've basically stopped wearing mine and it has everything to do with everything you just said, but it has a lot to do also with just the change in my life of being self-employed. My previous life, I was uh, working at a a firm. You know, we had a design and development clients, and I was their account manager. So I spent a ton of time, most days, in and out of other people's offices and on conference calls and in meetings. And so for me, it was really great to have calendar and email and text notifications coming to my wrist so I could I could discreetly check them uh, but also just know without digging my phone out what was next on the agenda and all that's gone away for me now and so for me most of the time I'm either in my office here or I'm at home working in my office there and I just don't have the need for those notifications and that glanceable information like I used to uh, and so I, I do still own it I still have it uh, I do still wear it some. Um, I, I still like the activity stuff a lot. Um, but the rest of it has sort of become less important to me. And so what I'm actually wearing today, something I'm working slowly towards a review on, is the Wythings uh, Activite Pop, which um, we'll put it in the uh, in the show notes. But it is a... Um, it looks, at first glance, like a very traditional watch. It is um, really, uh, really clean, really nice looking. Um, I've got it in the gray, um, which I which I like a lot. But it has a step counter in it, and it connects with Bluetooth to your phone. Now they are, I should say, they are having pretty significant problems in the nine point three beta. Like my watch and phone just stop talking to each other for days at a time. They say they're working on it. I'm I'm positive they'll get it fixed. Um, I own their scale as well. I've been nothing but impressed uh, from. From their products, um, and so this is like a normal watch, and but it has uh, another hand, and basically you you tell it your step goal, and then it counts your percentage towards that step goal. Currently, my step goal is pretty low because most of the days I'm just at home. Like one day I had like 170 steps, which is super bad. <laughs> um, so I'm being realistic about getting up and getting around right now, and uh, so I can just see like right now I'm about 25% to my step goal. I was uh, up doing a bunch of stuff this morning. I do wish you could change that hand to be something besides uh, your step counting. Like for me, what is more interesting for me to track is standing once an hour because I, I think um, a lot of people are this way who work at a computer. It's very easy for me just to like not move for four hours. And, and I, if I stand, I'm going to get up and walk around. So I wish there was some flexibility with that. And there's not, I don't think there's going to be. But I like that it looks like a traditional watch and the battery lasts like eight months it's a, and you just pop the back off and put a new like standard watch battery in it so there's no nothing to recharge or anything and it's water 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 resistant and a bunch of other stuff so uh i'm i'm experimenting with this as like if the activity thing is really what i care about on the apple watch and this does that but in a package it's much uh uh thinner which is nice it doesn't call on sleeves like my apple watch does it weighs less it uh, looks more like a traditional watch um, so we'll see. We'll see if this sticks. I've had. I've been wearing it for a couple of weeks, uh, and uh, it does like uh, alarm awake. You know, you can set an alarm and stuff on it. It'll wake you up silently. It's a pretty interesting mix between a watch and a, and a fitness tracker. So we'll see where this sticks. But um, 
It's what I'm currently wearing, currently experimenting with. So, uh, up next, Nick wanted us to touch on the Day One thing. So, Day One is a journaling app for Mac and iOS. They just, I think last week, had Day One version 2. Huge update uh, to the Mac and iOS simultaneous updates. They're both paid updates. Um, they are... In this update, made of, they've made a lot of changes. The big one is they've moved... Uh, from an option to sync with either their own server or or iCloud or Dropbox, and now it is only you can only use day one sync. And they have said that that brings a lot of flexibility for them and a lot of reliability. They're going to be able to do things like build an Android client, build a web client, have shared journals, and all this stuff uh, because they're they control the whole stack now. But the follow to that's been really interesting. I think. That there's, of course, always the noise if someone has a paid update. Um, but there's also the, uh, there's some concern about the syncing and a couple other things. Um, I, for one, have found the syncing reliable. I beta tested it. I actually moved to their sync engine in version one basically as soon as they announced it um, just to see what it was like. And it's crazy fast. It was much, fa- I was using Dropbox before and it's much faster than Dropbox. And I've been really impressed with it. And I was happy to pay for the, for the updates, I use, I mean, I use day one on a very regular basis. And so for me, it wasn't a big deal. But uh, I do see people's point that they want options. I do see people's point that um, I don't think day one's been as clear as they could have been with some of the security stuff. And they had some reliability issues on launch day and that sort of thing. But um, I don't know. I know you, at one point at least, were using day one a bunch. Is it still something that you use, you use pretty often? Yeah, not not on a regular basis. Mostly because uh, it's uh, kind of painful for me to look back on some memories. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes I open day one and I see old pictures and I'd rather not see them. Uh, if only because, you know, the memory in my brain is enough, you know. Uh, right. but, but it is an excellent app. And it's been interesting to see the reaction from people. So either on Twitter or if you read the reviews on the App Store, a lot of people saying, well, I won't come back. And this is, you know, it's always a funny threat. I won't come back or I won't uh, leave a five-star review unless you bring back uh, Dropbox and iCloud. And the argument that I saw that I wasn't expecting to see is I trust iCloud. I don't want to use your custom syncing service. And it's fascinating because we went from a time where people were concerned with iCloud, either because it didn't work or because they didn't trust Apple, to saying, I only trust iCloud. I don't, I don't trust you. And I, you know, I don't want to think about signing up for another web service. I don't trust you, that, you know, to provide the kind of privacy that Apple gives me. I just want to use iCloud. And in just five years, I would say, uh, iCloud, you know, the, the perception from a lot of people has changed. And it's interesting, you know, to kind of see this drawback from customers to an app that says, well, we want to add, you know, custom syncing options and iCloud doesn't give us that freedom, so we de- developed our own solution, which makes sense, you know, because they want to integrate with uh, web automation, with IFTTT and other services. They want to have uh, support for, you know, cross- cross-platform with Android and other, pla- other devices. So it makes sense to have a custom web component. But I found it 
interesting to see you know the reaction from people saying i trust icloud why don't you give me icloud um right so it doesn't look it doesn't look like uh they're gonna uh they're gonna go back and re-add dropbox and icloud uh they're gonna stick with day one sync which i think makes sense uh maybe i would have shipped uh the 2.0 update with uh, the custom encryption functionality that they are talking about, you know, to have your own encryption key. Uh, that feels like it would have eased the concerns from people, uh, you know, before getting them to move from iCloud to day one sync. But, you know, it's coming, so eventually everything should be okay, I guess. Yeah, and, and maybe they should have done a better job just communicating all of that, but I think the dust will settle. And I know that they've got some some updates in the works to maybe ease some people's minds about the security thing with private key encryption and a couple other things but it's um it's something to um to consider uh and I know they're they're also looking at some like Apple ID login stuff so th- there's a lot more coming I think they sort of had to get it out the door and and then and circle back but um it's definitely still an app that I use um pretty often and and, and and hearing you share that, I definitely have some of that in my day one. And um, the new version actually allows you to have multiple journals. And so I'm actually thinking about putting some of that stuff in a separate journal. So I, it's not in my primary one anymore. So if I want to go see some of that stuff, I can, but it's not immediately accessible, uh, which may be a nice way to sort of continue to use it, but not have to relive terrible things uh, every time you open it. Yeah, it's definitely not pleasant to, to look at yeah. some pictures. You know, I just, okay, I'm like, okay, I wanna I wanna save my thoughts in day one. I open the app and I see, you know, some pictures, and I'm like, uh, okay, um, well, <laughs> there you go. I I'm going to close the app now. So yeah, maybe multiple journals is what I wanna do. Just move everything that's old and painful to another journal and start a new one. I don't know. I, I I'm. Sometimes I just just don't have the patience to, you know, after an exhausting day to sit down and, and be like, okay, now I have to go through all the concerns and fears and doubts that I had today and just write them down in a journal. Uh, I struggle with that. Uh, you know, I'll try again. Cool. Uh, the last question I think is pretty interesting. Uh, asking about our our sort of work setup, the idea of... You know, when we sit down at our desk or, you know, where we do our work. And I think this is more interesting for you being uh, an iPad user. What does your desk look like when you're, when you're sitting working? It looks like a kitchen table with an iPad. <laughs> that, that's what it looks like, really. I work primarily in the kitchen uh, just because it's a kitchen slash living room. And uh, I enjoy having my Sonos there, my coffee machine nearby. Uh, you know, I can grab a... I can grab a you know, a snack or some, you know, refreshments. And I, it just looks like uh, an Ikea table, a black one, uh, with an iPad Pro, no keyboards, because I use primarily the, the software one. And an addition to my setup that I absolutely love is the 12 South Park Slope, which I bought from Amazon in a month ago, about a month ago, mm-hmm. at the end of December. And it's just perfect. It's the kind of stand that uh, props up the iPad at, at an angle that I love. It's got a rubber uh, 
finish at the bottom with the, some like a rubber protection that prevents the iPad from you know uh, falling over the table. Uh, the angle is just right. Uh, it's super comfortable. Works with the iPad Pro. Works with any MacBooks. Uh, it's just you know it's just the iPad, the Park Slope, uh, cup of coffee, and my Sonos. That's what it looks like. I, I like that. Um, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. I wrote up my the desk I'm at now in my office where I podcast, and I wrote that up in, back in September. It's basically the same uh, as it was then. Um, my desk at home is very similar in a way. I've got a MacBook Pro, and I use and I use a Thunderbolt display at home, and uh, it's it's more or less the same. I do use speaking of twelve south. I do use their Book Arc to keep my desk at home is smaller than my desk here. And so I keep my MacBook Pro closed and clamshell mode and it's sort of tucked behind the display a little bit. But um, it's more or less the same where I have a MacBook Pro that is with me all the time and it's a matter of uh, basically hooking it up to a display and external hard drives and Bluetooth um, keyboard and mouse and that sort of thing. Um, if I do work on my iPad, it's it's actually, like you said, generally in my dining room table and it's just uh, usually in the smart keyboard, which I just bought a couple of weeks ago and, and actually I'm coming to like. And uh, it's it gives me that flexibility. But if I'm working at a Mac, it's usually hooked up to a bunch of other stuff. So uh, that, that link will be uh, in the show notes. You can see it's got a picture and outline and everything. So, well, Federico, I think we've done it. I think we've survived another episode without Mike. Well, yeah. Uh, actually, this is fun, you know, me and you. Yeah. Maybe we should we should fire Mike at this point. He doesn't want to come back. We we can do this, Steven. We can go on with... I'm joking, Mike. We miss you. Please come back. As I say, I'm out next week, so it's just going to be you. <laughs> oh, well, then I can do the monologue, finally. It's just going to be an hour talking about I- Italian food and working on the iPad. I hope you'll, you will enjoy it, Steven. I think a lot of people would actually enjoy that. If you if you want to find uh, show notes for this week, open your podcast app of choice, or you can find them on our website at relay.fm slash connected slash 77. There in the sidebar, you'll see a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, you can uh, send us an email. You can talk to us on Twitter. The show is at underscore connected FM. Federico can be found on Twitter at Vatici, and he writes uh, the glorious maxstories.net you can find me on Twitter at ISMH. I write 512pixels.net. You can find Mike, wherever he is, on Twitter at I-M-Y-K-E. And uh, we'd like to thank our sponsors one last time, Ministry of Supply and Igloo, for sponsoring this week's episode. Uh, so until next week, Federico, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Adios.